Welcome to Everything's Interesting. You won't believe what happens on this podcast when the hosts think no one is listening. Stay tuned to see what happens next. I'm Justin Blizzard, and I'm here with Keith Krepko. Keith, how's your week been? Uh, it's been okay. How about yours? It's been all right. Uh, I had a I had a little bit of an indiscretion <laughs> on Facebook yesterday. You want to say this out loud? <clears throat> recording. Well, it was on Facebook, so. Well, no one's listening, right? So it doesn't matter. That's true. But um, I'm, I'm sitting on I'm on Facebook, and someone you know one of those things pops up where it says you know so and so likes this right, and it's a external link. So I clicked on it, not knowing what it was. <laughs> Never and, do that. Yeah. And it was a GIF of um, one woman yeah. spanking another woman uh. wearing only underwear. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't think this person like Knows. meant to share this on Facebook. Right. Um, so I just went back, right? And as soon as I go back to Facebook... No, it oh. now says that I like this link. Oh. It says me and this other person likes this link. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> All I did was click on it. Like, I didn't click share or anything. So I like, I deleted it. Or I tried to delete it, but it wouldn't let me. So then I reported it as spam, which it did, I guess. But I kept like going back and refreshing my Facebook. And it was still there. It would not go away. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Is it still there? It's gone now, but is it, it, it took a while. Is that your official story of what happened? Yeah, or is this, <laughs> basically. That's why you want this. That's what I could come up with the, in about 24 hours. The official record. Yeah. Can I tell you about a quick indiscretion I witnessed? Sure. Uh, at work, I went into the restroom, and I saw like a 6'6 guy, taller mm-hmm. than me, and I'm I'm tall. Yeah. But he was at the smallest urinal. Uh-huh. <laughs> And like the kitty urinal. The kitty urinal. And he literally looked, you know, like a giraffe bending over uh-huh. <laughs> to eat grass. Yeah. And no one else was in the restroom and no one was in the hallway to the restroom. Right. That I could see who left like recently. Yeah. And I've been haunted by the question of why. Yeah. What would make a 6'6 man... <laughs> decide yeah he wants to pee in the kitty urinal yeah maybe he's got some kind of complex maybe i mean he didn't look comfortable i'll say that much (laughs) so i mean well have you seen a giraffe like we were at the zoo a few weeks ago and i was watching the giraffes right in front of us it literally like spread both of its front legs out right and reached its gigantic neck over a fence nonetheless to eat like grass on the ground. It's like this thing, first of all, is surrounded by grass. I don't know why it's putting this obstacle Over in its fence. way. Right. <laughs> and then you start to realize like maybe this is why we're like the king of animals. Because they do like stupid stuff like this. You right. Know what I mean, like this giraffe could literally be eating from a tree at the same height as its head, but it's choosing to like reach over a fence bend down so its legs are almost like spread eagle yeah like it just is bizarre well i mean it could also just lay down on its side and just munch <laughs> right. and just that's yeah. what i would do it is in a protected environment it's in a protected <laughs> environment that's true and it's trying to get out apparently because it's eating the only place where probably it shouldn't over yeah. the fence yeah i mean yeah. 
bathroom etiquette is strange in an office setting. As someone who's only been in an office setting for a year or so. Right. You're like that captive giraffe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe its behavior makes more sense when you're actually captive. Right. That's true. So I take that back what I yeah. said about the giraffe. Yeah. So not to beat a dead horse, but our 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 Facebook, speaking of Facebook, our Facebook page has had a uh, a lively week. I'm, I've been like selling my soul on Facebook, trying to get people to like this thing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. self-promoting, yeah. which I'm not comfortable with. Right. And after one, a new episode, a week has gone by, I've tried to raise up as much awareness for the Facebook pages as I can. And I'm not just doing this for, like for our ego. Like there's certain things you can't do on Facebook without having a certain amount of likes. It's like right now, like our Facebook URL is like facebook.com slash like a string of nine random numbers. <laughs> like we can't even get our own name on our Facebook page until we have a certain amount of people like it. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so I've been trying to get people to like this. And I don't know if people are just like misunderstanding me or what. But are they liking what your post is? Exactly. That's exactly right. They're liking my post, but not liking... The, and maybe that's on purpose. You know, there are some people that are just weird about, like, I don't like anything on Facebook. Yeah. Which I can understand, like, if you're talking about McDonald's. You know what I mean? But, like, if your buddies are trying to do something... Yeah, something you know I mean? important. Yeah, throw them a bone. Right? Give us a Somebody break. Somebody like. Yeah. It's, I mean, we're not McDonald's. You know what I mean? No, we're not. So... After a week, after trying to drum up more support, we have gained more support. Would you like to take a what Last week we had 12 likes, I think it was. My guess is lucky 13. 13? Well, you'll be pleasantly surprised that we are now at 14 likes. <laughs> is one of those a fake account that you set up? I don't Another, think so. No, okay. no. I, I, can't, I can't think of the two people off the top of my head. They can't take back a like, can they? <laughs> yeah. Oh, of oh they, they can. can unlike it. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. All right. Well, today on the show, we're talking about comics, comic books, graphic novels. Yeah. Uh, specifically, uh, Brian K. Vaughn's saga and uh, the Manhattan Projects and uh, East of West. Um, and then after that, we will check in with Twitter to see what's trending. And we will finish with uh, recommendations. Uh, but first, we're going to take a break. And then we'll be back with... A well-deserved break. Yeah. That was tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll be back with uh, uh, our comic books. paperbacks of saga mm-hmm. and um the manhattan projects for that matter but it's a series by brian k vaughn and fiona staples who's the artist and i should say that we both thoroughly enjoy the the comics and that's why we're discussing them 
So just by us discussing them, we're sort of endorsing that you read them. Right. Um, so our overviews are not going to be very thorough because I think it's operating on the assumption that if you're listening, you've read them. I feel like that's how we've been operating. I feel like it makes it a little obtuse. Yeah. But yeah, I do think that there's a, you're always benefited by just reading or watching whatever we're going to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Because then we kind of go in the weeds. Right. I and like. I don't find it too interesting to just sort of recap everything. Give general, yeah. Or give general notions right. about it. We both um, like it. Yeah. So. But a quick overview of Saga is... It's kind of a, it's kind of a, almost like a basic soap opera story, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but it's, uh, you've got a man and a woman of different species. He has horns. uh, Right. She has wings. She has wings of different species that hate each other. Um, Well, they're supposed to hate each other. They're supposed to hate each other. They get married, have a kid, and by getting married and having a kid, they've become basically the galaxy's biggest outlaws and so they're being hunted they're being hunted by government officials they're being hunted by bounty hunters their own kind they're being hunted by their own kind they're traitors they've committed treason and whatnot um but that's a basic overview of the series and what what sort of keeps it out of soap opera territory is the um is the universe that it's set in but what I want to talk about first was uh, reading interviews with Brian K. Vaughn and listening to some of the interviews he said. He's made it a point to say that the series itself is about is more or less about parenting. And he wanted to do something um, where he could discuss parenting without it being as boring as just discussing parenting. I th- you know, his go-to example is talking about diaper bags or whatever. So he's created this couple... Um, they've had a baby and they're in the middle of this intergalactic civil war, basically. Yeah. Right. Um, so I wanted to get your take on that and I wanted to know how we are both parents. Uh, you've got a five year old son Mm -hmm. and I've got two daughters under two. So I definitely can relate to the, the, uh, in the first 18 um, comics. The the baby is a baby. It's, it's an infant, and it still is, you know, uh, breastfeeding, and they're changing its diapers and all of that stuff. So I can definitely relate to that. But I wanted to know how how sort of if that rings. If you feel like the series is about parenting, um, if that really comes through for you, like, does it have any sort of weight in the story itself? Yeah, I do think that there's something to that. I mean, even if you just say that it's the intention of the author, then I would hope that I could answer in the positive yeah. or else he is, a, you know, a horrible failure. Yeah. And I, I don't think that he's, that he's failing on it. I, I don't, I wouldn't say that parenting is the number one thing that jumps out at me. Yeah. It's uh, it seems to be a predilection of the series but it's not like I'm learning to be a better father or feel like I'm engaging a dialogue about parenting necessarily. Or even like really witnessing sort of like universal truths parenting. about parenting. You know what I mean? Right. I haven't really experienced that. Right. And I mean, it. and then there are some issues of 
yeah, how the baby reacts and responds to this. I don't think that, um, I don't think that some things would play out thinking, remembering of how it was when I had a baby. A lot of times I couldn't control it in a way where this narrative maybe needs the baby to be quiet at this moment or, you know, not be a baby, you know, during these other moments. Yeah. And, and, and we're, we're largely, you know, absent from much of the baby's growth, you know, there are long stretches where it's just like, uh, we're, we're not there for months and then next time we see the baby is a little more developed or yeah the, the biggest contribution that the baby really has at this point is more or less when she's not a baby anymore and the the story as a whole is being narrated by the baby who has grown up right right and that's represented in you've got you know childish sort of scrawlings in the panels that are narrating the story um, so I don't think an exact age is given, but she's obviously grown up, but that's the biggest input that the baby has. I mean, outside of in book three, her being thrown off the ledge. So the mother can prove her bravery. I guess I kind of, I didn't really, I, I kind of missed the point on that. Um, <laughs> Based on your face, I think you kind of <laughs> missed the whole part. You're, you're struggling. It looks like yeah. Really... Well, I mean, they the, the 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 Marco, the father, right. right, throws the baby over the over a cliff or something, right? Yeah. Because he's telling the wife that she can fly, even though she doesn't think she can. Right. Right. So in that scene, the baby is more or less used as a device and to and show some show you something about the mother more so than parenting right the baby. and just and just to establish it it wasn't like you know teaching a kid to swim so you throw them in the water or right. whatever like things were on fire right you know there were death threats they were yeah. on the run yeah and then he threw the baby to to save the baby it wasn't like he was right being a douchebag yeah and douchebag dad being like you gotta learn this lesson one way or another. Right. Throwing the baby. Yeah, yeah. But but with that being said, without sounding too negative about it, I I it's not that I don't think it works. I just don't think it's as substantial as saying as this is what the series yeah. is about. Right. Um. That's a good. That's a good clip, though. It's a good line for him to say. You know. Yeah. I guess for like an interview. Yeah, and I think it's it's probably good to maybe have the reader view it differently yeah but you know the, i think whenever the first one came out in in 2012 was when my oldest daughter had just been born so i was sort of noticed those things immediately oh i that's remember a, that's exactly what i was experiencing at the time. yeah well i remember when uh my wife first told me she was pregnant and i ran out and got all these books i remember watching knocked up with Seth Rogen yeah. and looking for it to have some kind of answer. <laughs> right. Like yeah. I was desperate. I was looking for everything. So I, I can totally sympathize with, with that notion. I, yeah. And I feel like, you know, one thing that's interesting about graphic novels is the medium. And like we said, she has wings, they're animals and arachnid humans and all this stuff. Do you think that, you know, some of his saying that the series is about parenting is fighting against that idea that graphic novels are for a specific set of kind of nerd or geek culture that can kind of get in on that level of absurdity or 
stylized kind of storytelling and he's trying to maybe ground it for more kind of average readers to or be mature, like, oh, maybe a more mature audience right or... more mature oh well maybe i'll check this out because it's about parenting it's right. not just about you know animals talking and stuff do you think that was some of his calculated desire to try and get a more um mature audience interested yeah it might be i think I think I think it could I well I think you know honestly I think if you take the parenting aspect out of it you're not left with much um you you're left with a Romeo Juliet storyline right. where and, Romeo and, and Juliet live right and that's something else that that I wanted to talk about was how significant is the story because I I mean I'll ask you the the story is very it's a it's a it's a boilerplate basically and it's even even so much of a of a boilerplate that, that and you've mentioned this to me before. It's mirrored in um, the 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 two the one thing that this couple bonds over is this terrible romance, romance no- novel. dime store romance novel. And it changes their whole worldview. It, it changes everything. Everything. And this book that is written off by everybody as just a cheap romance novel. And but the the story of the of saga itself is mirrored more it's it's more or less a cheap romance story right so if you take the sort of parenting aspect out of it um you probably lose a lot of that weight you know if you think about this is if you think about this is just a a couple who's in love with each other fleeing from everybody if you take the weight of a baby out of it 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 loses a lot of significance i feel like you know without the baby they're just two people in love you know they're Romeo and Juliet basically, right? But with the baby now they have you know something tangible that they have to protect, right. that they have to keep alive. There's immediate stakes. It's yeah. not just their lives, right? It's the life of this baby, and you know that they would at any time sacrifice themselves for the baby. So it it creates that kind of tension that you're not secured that either will get through this alive or both will get through this alive at any moment. One of them could go yeah. because the story's being told by the baby grown exactly. up now. Yeah. So, you know, we don't have assurances that the parents are going to live. And, and I think that creates a tension that's interesting within the narrative. Yeah. Uh, so this, the story, like I said, the story itself is, is fairly boilerplate. It's, it's, I would say if you take it outside of this universe that, um, Vaughn and Fiona Staples has created, you could very easily sort of overlay it with any three o'clock in the afternoon soap opera. Um, and, and, and I think they're, they're doing that same thing with the graphic novel as well. I think they're using graphic novel tropes. They're throwing it all in this universe, right? It's not just a universe that's defined by one or two kind of sets of characters and species. They're throwing it all in there. There's a huge troll creature. Right. There are small little cute animals. I mean, it seems like they are throwing in a lot of different ideas from a lot of different concepts. Like we said, robots and winged creatures and animals and all that. That, you know, I feel like they're they're maybe trying to encapsulate in a broader uh, spectrum all of graphic novels as a medium and saying this may look kind of... Uh, you know, hyper stylized and maybe for a core set of people, but we are trying to speak about larger themes 
in graphic novels in general. Do you, do you think he has that idea that kind of carrying the weight of all graphic novels on his shoulders with this? Or do you think he's just interested in telling his specific story and his specific story just feels very general? That's the, yeah, that's the thing is it, it, it seems, I don't think he's addressing comic books as a medium, but at the same time, it's such a generic story. I don't, see how you could feel compelled to that you have to tell this story you know what i mean for me the reason that saga works so well and that i like it so much is that you have these um these images you have the art in the book that is so out there and you know while doing research on it and while reading different people's articles and listening to interviews someone said and i can't remember who it was but someone said you know comic books are a medium where you can literally do anything. So why wouldn't you, right? Abraham and, Lincoln. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so and that's what they do with this book. Like I said, there's there's one person. Now, you know, the main characters resemble humans, right? But they've got giant horns on their heads or they've got giant yeah. wings. But there's only like in a in a book that's full of characters, there's one character that is just straight up human. And that's the, the one will. of the, the will. That's the bounty hunter, right? But other than that, you have like you've got reporters that are like cats, more or less, or they're blue, right. or they're orange, or you know the 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 bounty hunter that the will is in love with at the beginning is like a, a basically a, a woman spider, a woman spider that's terrifying looking, right? From enemy, right? She's yeah. straight out of enemy, <laughs> right? Exactly, um, and you've got. And Ash, the there's a there a baby right. They have a babysitter now who's a ghost, a ghost of a teenager who's been cut in half. Who's been cut in half, right? And and she gets banished to a nearby comet by the mother-in-law, right? <laughs> but then the comet, they get to the comet to the rec- rescue the babysitter, and there's this giant troll with you know his genitals genitals hanging out, right? And then it turns out it's not a comet at all. It's a giant like space egg. And while they're on it, it cracks to reveal another monster. You know what I mean? It's just is like totally out there. And I feel like what I feel like if you had a crazy story on top of that crazy environment, it would feel like too much. Whereas when you put this very generic story into it, it works. It gives you something to like, even though I'm on this egg planet that is now hatching, I still know what's going on because it's it's a mom and a dad with a kid who are trying to keep the kids safe basically right right yeah it's a way of grounding your narrative in something identifiable it kind of goes back not to make this a whole callback episode but it goes back to what i was my, my feelings on wes anderson where you have stories set in a hyper realized universe right. but that have very grounded emotions that are propelling the characters uh in a way that's identifiable that i think you're supposed to be able to connect in a larger uh, with the larger ideas of the story. Yeah. And so I, I think, I think I would agree. I mean, I think in, in the sense of, you know, saga, you know, what, what keeps me reading, I think is that medium. They understand the medium of the graphic novel as being something that you're not going to get in any other form of storytelling, yeah. the kind of visuals, the combinations of these worlds, the mythical creatures and all that while grounding it in a very, 
you know, simple story and also I think further subverting it by making it fundamentally about a romance novel that changes that threatens to change the whole world. Yeah. The the ideas in this romance novel. You know, I think that that is interesting and can keep me coming back even though I would not read this out in public for fear that I turn the page and somebody, you know, sees that huge troll thing yeah. and, uh, and, and get suspicious of what I'm writing or reading. Yeah. Not writing it. Yeah. So I, I wanted to also talk to you about the, just the ending of, I guess, issue 18 or the end of trade paper, paperback number three. Um, it ends with, it kind of ends with, it's almost like, to me, it felt like a reset. Like, yeah, the the prince robot is reset. Is reset. He's he like literally, right? Literally, yeah. he literally resets. Um, yeah. The will. I don't even remember what happens. Is injured. With the will. He's injured. That's right. That's he's right. been stabbed. So he's no longer pursuing. And it, it's more or less. And and like you said, a, a, a I would I guess almost maybe years go by because the in the last panel. You're, you you see the the mother walking out with the daughter who's now walking who's now walking instead of a an infant that's breastfeeding she's now walking right. so how did what did you what did you think about that like yeah you know it it again I guess that speaks to uh, Brian K Vaughn's initial idea that his story is about parenting in the sense that the cliffhanger of this one is the baby walks mm-hmm. and. That's treated like, you know, the ape standing upright in 2001, yeah. a space odyssey. Yeah. You know, it's and, like... And it also kind of, now that you mention it, the end of the first trade paperback is the the in-law showing up. That's right. Which is something else you deal with as a parent. That's like right. how do you get along with your in-laws? So maybe he means what he said about parenting, that yeah. all of his trade paperbacks end right. <laughs> in commentaries yeah. about parenthood yeah but yeah i mean i felt like that was and and it seemed fitting right i mean normally in graphic novels maybe they're going to one up in a take you to someplace completely different add something insane and brian k vaughn just wants to introduce either new characters new family dynamics or introduce a new kind of developmental leap for the baby um and really quick in a sentence can i just get and then and then I do want to continue this conversation about the end. But what do you feel about you know this is maybe a story about parenting, but it's definitely not for children. It's not like yeah. I can't see him passing this down to like his daughter right. and be like, "Here, honey, <laughs> I wrote this for you." There's right. a lot of graphic content, so I yeah. guess in throwing the, the the question back to you about your take on this specific ending and the reset aspect of it, what's your take on? the graphic nature of the violence and sexual content and him trying to make this about a family. Does that at all feel disjointed to you? I, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't feel just disjointed to me because he's not hitting the family cues so hard. It's not like you're taken from, you know, like a, like a family matters, (laughs) emotional scene and then the next panel is someone is or like the next scene is like the graphic homoerotic sex scenes depicted on prince robot 4's screen you know what i mean right it's sort of all appropriate to what's going on and i guess 
because like I said, it's not hitting those family cues so hard. I, I haven't necessarily noticed it. And maybe part of that too is the medium of, you know, it's a graphic novel and that's kind of what you expect. Right. Um, Got to play fan service. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I haven't really, I haven't really thought about it too much. Um, well, and, you should. And I haven't, well, I haven't thought about it in terms of conflicting with the story that it's presenting. Yeah. I've definitely noticed it because there's a lot. It's very graphic in the violence, the sex, and in, and in the language. I mean, the, the, the comic book opened, the very first panel is the woman like screaming expletives while she's giving birth. That's right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of set that standard. Right. Um, but I think that also ties into like how you're reading it and how, like I said, we're both reading the trade paperbacks. So instead of reading one issue and then waiting a month we're to read another one, you're reading six issues in a row and then waiting six months to read six more. So do you think that that has affected your your view on it at all? or I used to read comic books as a kid. And I guess now that I've kind of picked up graphic novels lately, that's the only way I know how to read these. So to me, there's no other way to read it than in these larger chunks of story or to at the end, go pick up a complete kind of uh, volume of, of all of the whole story, you know? Like, those are the only ways I know to read this. And, and that's the way that I'd rather read it, is in either large chunks or read an entire series in one huge book. So, yeah, it, yeah that doesn't really bother me in, in terms of the, the method of the storytelling. But what would you uh, think of the ending? For me, the ending, uh, I guess, I don't, I think disappointed is too strong of a word. But when I first read it, I was a little taken aback, maybe. Um but thinking about it, the more I've thought about it after finishing it, I think if the series, if the next book picks up more or less, you know, with the pursuit rebuilding on the couple, mm-hmm. um, and he just used that jump in time to sort of skip a boring year or right, year and a half of them just and... living in the spaceship, mm-hmm. that's perfectly fine with me. I'd be great with that. Yeah, me too. Um but to also address the, I, I feel like, like you, I've only really read comics in the trade paperbacks or in like collected hardbacks. So usually all at once. And with Saga, I, this isn't as much of an issue, although I have said to you before, it kind of feels like by reading everything all at once, you end up remembering more or less like a skeleton of the story rather than all of these details. Um, that you just sort of end up forgetting because you're you're reading through them so quickly. But to transition onto the Manhattan projects, I feel like reading them in the trades is actually really detrimental to my enjoyment of them. Not enjoyment, but understanding of them. Hmm. Because the uh, just for a quick overview, the Manhattan projects is. A graphic novel that is an alternate history of the Manhattan Project. Um, so you've got the team that built the 
atomic bomb and Einstein, right? Einstein, Oppenheimer, Feynman, all of them. Um, instead of just building the atomic bomb, they're using their collective genius to perform all sorts of Open scientific portals to experiments. Other, right? They're uh, discovering, right? Discovering aliens. They're um, colonizing the moon. Right. They're sort of mining humans for energy. Uh, just it's it's as crazy as Saga is, I feel like the Manhattan Project trumps it by They like go 10. all in. Yeah, they go, they all, go in. all in. Um and after spending this week sort of reading about it and and listening to some people talk about it, I feel like and it I, it, it should also be said too that what Jonathan Hickman does with the format of the of the comic is not like any other comics that I've read, at least there's a lot of like interludes, I guess there's like some pages that are just like one page. And then you get, uh, like, I don't even know what to call it, but it's just like, you get a one page quote from Feynman who is more or less narrating the story to you, or you're getting the story from his diaries. So yeah. you're getting quotes from him and then something else is happening on the next page. It's very bizarre. Um, but what I sort of picked up reading this week is that if I was reading these stories one month at a time or one at a time, there, there are very distinctive lines being drawn. And I think, too, with Saga, you're, you're, you're reading a story from beginning to end. It's right. not jumping around in the timeline. Whereas the Manhattan Projects is, I feel like each issue is its own self-contained story while also playing into the larger story. At and hand. there's more characters. Saga. And there, yeah, there are a lot more characters. Right. Um, so I, I feel like I almost want to go back and try and like start over with the Manhattan Projects. because, And this is something we're, we wanted to talk about is... I really, I still enjoy the Manhattan Projects, and I want to keep reading, despite not really <laughs> knowing what is going on. Right. Right. Part of that is the art style. Part of that is just the medium of graphic novels. Like, there's such a light commitment. You know, I'm not sitting down to read an eight-hour, ten-hour, twelve-hour book. I'm grabbing a, a a graphic novel that's going to take me forty-five minutes to an hour to read from beginning to end. And I get to look at, you know, pictures the whole time, right? <laughs> yeah. So how, how do you think that that has, has that, do you feel like that has affected your understanding of what's going, do you feel like you understand what's going on? That, that, that's interesting. I, I didn't think of it in terms of, it's like Netflix, right? Releasing an entire show exactly. at yeah. one time, as opposed to having that show be doled out at a week at a time where right. you're able to sit with it, think about it, be more in the flow of what the show's trying to do instead of setting your own flow, which is definitely, you know, with the Manhattan projects or with graphic novels in general, you can definitely find yourself, I think, flipping pages and, and flipping pages pretty quickly. Yeah. And enjoying yourself, but also not pausing to reflect on what you've read as much. And so that's interesting to think, would the Manhattan Projects be a little more digestible if it set out its characters a little easier where 
I wasn't able to read that one page quote, turn the next page and be with a completely different character in a completely different setting and right. trying to then reorient myself to, to their storyline. Right. And even the quotes themselves don't necessarily pertain to what you just read or what you are going to read. Right. It's just like a random quote. And and some sometimes they do, you know. Yeah. And, and no, some, yeah. And, and sometimes they're a little more philosophically related than they mm-hmm. are narratively. And I find the quotes fascinating. I yeah. I love the fact that I'm reading alternative histories of of historical characters and also reading fictional quotes from yeah. these right. characters. Right. You know, so to think, what if Oppenheimer or Fenniman or you know said this weird crazy kind of convoluted right. phrase about cannibalism yeah you know like that's that's interesting to me that's fascinating yeah the the one thing that it has really made me think of is what it must have been like for such a like smart group of people to get together and sort of like the weight of the decision to like, you know, because, you know, if, if someone is that intelligent, they're going to be thinking a lot about their motivations, what can come from it. And the fact that all of these hyper intelligent people are getting together to create a device to kill like thousands upon thousands of people, like. I think. Sort of, I think taking that thinking and then and then running with it and saying, what if they were doing all this other crazy stuff is sort of a natural extension that works and that's intriguing. And I think that's what really draws me to the series. But at the same time, it jumps around so much. And I think there's an element of it too, to where I'm not super familiar with these people. Like I don't necessarily know their histories. Um, Yeah, you do. You've read the Manhattan Project. (laughs) You know exactly what, you know the true story. (laughs) I now I know you that, know the true history that, of it. That that Oppenheimer was a you know schizophrenic cannibal, right? Well, you know that he was really his twin, his cannibalistic right. yeah, twin. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that that's part of what what really um, keeps me reading is it's just is so unique, right? Um, but but during my reading this uh, this week about it, I found this quote from from Jonathan Hickman and I wanted to get your your take on it. Okay. He said he's talking about he's talking about the 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 book and he's talking about um what sort of what they're doing and what uh you know what they're experimenting with and the idea of the Manhattan project itself. So he says, "Of course by themselves none of this is really bleeding edge stuff." What makes it interesting, what makes it cool, what makes it worth doing is the prism through which we're looking at all of this. There's a really good reason we there's a there's a really good reason why we're uh, parading all of this as quote unquote science bad, which is not and that's the end of the uh, that's the end of his quote, but that's not something that uh, at the on the back of each of these trade paperbacks they have that quote science period bad period and it's not something that i really um took much note of but he's pointing to it sort of like Brian K Vaughn is with the parenting he's pointing it to it as sort of the impetus of this series like i guess maybe he's trying to say like i don't know what he's trying to say 
Well, I think it's interesting if we want to jump ahead just like we did with Saga and talk about the third paperback that I just got done reading. Uh, it, that really comes to the forefront where at the end of, you know, spoiler warning, at the end of this third uh, Manhattan Project paperback, you have Oppenheimer his civil war breaking out in his mind right. and which is awesome which is awesome right? it's just which is a awesome. great way to i think rep- they do a great job representing that and hickman makes it a, a a very clear point and i feel like in this civil war i did feel like it was hickman really coming through a little bit and being like this is what we are doing and in it one side of Oppenheimer's brain, the blue side, tries to overcome the other side of his brain by science, by math. So right. it says, and the the red side is just like irrational, id, like hedonism, yeah, pure id, id. yeah, pure. And id. the blue guys go off into the forest, and he says, you know, they start by building schools. They start with mm-hmm. basic math, and basic math becomes algebra, and becomes trigonometry, mm-hmm. and whatever. And as soon as the blue side of, of Oppenheimer feels like they have enough learning, they go against the id, and the id wins. Right. It looks like Every science. Time. Right. It looks like science is going to win, and science loses. And he keeps going back to this phrase about like assimilation is better than whatever. I'm not even interested in that, in that quote, more than the idea. Right. And it seems to me like when you, when you match this with East of West, which which is about the apocalypse in a lot of ways, I'm I'm getting the picture of Hickman as being a very cynical kind of person in his view of our, culture and where we're headed both technologically as well as culturally and maybe that he's a guy who is one of those uh people who feels like technology needs to slow down that we're progressing too quickly and that's what they're doing with the manhattan projects basically in the manhattan project you have these warring ideas of of these brilliant men who after they stop a war are left with saying now what and basically it's like let's colonize the moon and let's open up this portal and let's do this and let's do that and they go in a lot of different directions all heedlessly and all leading to you know pretty bad ends for for some of them or or at least conflict yeah and uh and i wonder if that is fundamentally the point you know taking these historical figures throwing them in a in a hyper realized world putting them at the forefront of technologies that don't exist, that have repercussions on the whole world in ways that they can't anticipate. And they honestly are not interested in. They don't care. Right, because they're just doing science, basically. They're just doing science. And they have this belief that science will overcome the id, right? That in science and culture, it will somehow get all the other base elements of humanity under control and that will never happen. There will always at least be a civil war. I don't think one side will ever win out. And that is, again, spoiler of the third paperback. That's kind of uh, the takeaway where 
you have this final blue representation of science. He's on this table. The red side of Oppenheimer uh, has this plan for how he's going to finally get rid of him. And he gets away at the last second. Mm -hmm. And then it ends with saying, you know, the Civil War was reignited. Right. And so, you know, that is maybe a very simplistic takeaway. But I do wonder if that's Hickman in the same way that we just talked about Saga being simplistic in its storyline. I wonder if that's kind of where these uh, graphic novel storytellers are at right now, interested in basic storylines in these absurdist, crazy worlds, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's, that's, that's where East of West is, 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 is leaning towards as well. Um, especially towards the end. Um, it's kind of about parenting. Yeah, well, it is. Yeah, it is at the end, I guess. Um, but before we move on to that, I just wanted to say, like, I, Saga and Manhattan Projects, I love them both, like, equally, I would say. Of course, I understand Saga more than I do the Manhattan Projects. And it's not that the Manhattan Projects is, like, I don't understand what's going on. I understand what's going on on a base level. Yeah. I feel like... But I feel like because of there's this element of historical figures that I don't know much about, there's so, uh, this element that I'm missing out on. You know what yeah. I mean? It, it, it's how they behave. It's how they yeah. behave to one another. It, it a lot of it is is kind of you don't understand their motivation. Yeah, and 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 uh, and something else I read with Hickman, he's, he or I listened to an interview with him. He said that they are characters that are serving the story, and that's it. They're not. Outside of their names and their appearances, they are not based on their real life counterparts at all. They right. are there just to serve the story. So knowing that, you know, it, I'll have a different view reading it. Yeah. Um, can, can, can I ask a quick question? I didn't hear an interview with Hickman. What does he sound like? Make a snap judgment about. Does he uh, sound like a meathead? Yeah, he, he, sound like he a, sounds like how he sounds kind of like a. Hmm. I want to say like a Dan Harmon or Kevin Smith type. Okay. Which is, I think more or less what you expect. Yeah. He just sounds kind of like a grumpy. Right. Underappreciated creator. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that I think Kevin Smith is underappreciated. underappreciated yeah. <laughs> um, but he just sounds like that sort of type. You know what I mean? Kind of like. Uh, you know, he sounds like a nice guy. I'm not saying anything like that, but he just sounds kind of like he sounds like the kind of guy who's has a chip on his shoulder, and he's might be a little grumpy about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's how he comes off in his art. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, the characters are just there to serve the story, and um, you know, I I would recommend both the books. And one of the things I really like about both, and um, are very different about both is the art style. Something we didn't really talk about with, with um, sagas. The, the, I think the art is great. Yeah. Um, and the art in Manhattan Projects is equally as great. And they're both. I feel like the the art in um, saga is very. I feel like very obviously very formal digital. Like yeah. Right. Whereas the art in Manhattan Manhattan Projects seems, um, at least it seems hand drawn. You know, right. there's a lot of attention to detail. It just, and I really like that. And that, I think that is one of the things that really propel you 
when you're reading a graphic novel, right? I mean, that, that's the, the, this yeah. is the thing you notice the fir- first, and it's the most prominent is the art. Um, so I think those are very important elements. But to move on to, to East of West, which was your recommendation for me last week, depending on when this comes out. But last time you recommended East of West, which is a newer comic by Jonathan Hickman, who did Manhattan Projects. And it started. It starts off very similar, at least in structure, to Manhattan Projects. I felt like, at least, it starts off with more or less an alternate history of the Civil War, right? Um, and then it starts jumping timelines back and forth, right? And then, but then towards the end, it sort of smooths comes it, together. It smooths itself out, and you start following one timeline, right? And you know, with that being said, I, I don't know if it's because I felt like it was aping Manhattan Projects a little bit, even though it's the same creator, I guess. I was a little turned off by that in the beginning. I wanted something different. Um, and I, But I think it also speaks to what we were saying before. I, I wouldn't say I necessarily disliked East of West. I'm not necessarily interested in reading more of it. But if someone was like, hey, here's book two, I would read it. Just I think be- I'll be that person. Yeah, just because it's such like a a light time commitment. Just because it's like, here's 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 issue here's uh book two, and it's like, well, I've already read book one. This is going to take me what 40, 45 minutes. Like I might as well. Like I'm interested enough to know what happens next. Um. So, I guess just for like, uh, well, I guess maybe. Let's talk about this. To, to go along with sort of the grumpy chip on your shoulder, Jonathan Hickman, that I've picture that I've painted, um, this is what I got from him about East of West. Here are some quotes I pulled from him about East of West. He said that the the book itself, well, let me give let me give a quick overview. I'm sorry. East of West is a story about the apocalypse, right? It starts with um, an alternate history of the Civil War, where the Civil War ends completely differently from the real civil war and then it sort of spirals from there so the book itself you're following two parties right the first one is you're following three of the horsemen of the apocalypse right which is famine war, war. and uh, keep talking we'll come i back don't to remember it. what the third one is famine war and oh isn't it like pestilence yeah right yeah and um, they're searching for the rogue fourth horseman, who is Death. And Death has gone rogue because he fell in love with, uh, like, one of the daughters of a the emperor, emperor king. of China, Mao. Right? I don't remember other than his name being Mao. I don't remember anything else. <laughs> right. And he's, he, death has fallen in love with his daughter, with one of his daughters. Who's like a super soldier. Right. Um, they fell in love. They had a kid. It's like saga. Exactly. It's like saga. Um, and now the three horsemen are searching for death. Right. So that's, an, that's the overview. Um, but Hickman said of East of West, he said, it's about everyone hating each other right now. And I'm not sure if these quotes, I'm, I'm assuming they apply to the real world, the world that we live in, and not the comic book world that he's created with East of West. Uh, but he said that East of West is about everyone, how everyone hates each other right now. 
and he said it's about how there has been uh, no external threat, and that has led to, you know, us turning on each other. Yeah, he he kind of said that, and it's a line in the book that the things that pull us apart are stronger than the things that hold us together, mm-hmm. and that's what he wanted this story to be about. Okay. See, I, to me, maybe it's because I haven't spent enough time with it, but I do not see the significance of either of those quotes in East of West whatsoever. Like, maybe uh, you can do a better job of explaining it. Like, if, if you, I don't know if you see it or not, but it, it, to me, there seems to be a big disconnect between that message and what is happening in east of west which i guess for me so far has not been much of anything in terms of a grander scheme yeah i I think it's i guess the the most base kind of take on that quote is kind of of course when you're dealing with the story of death what greater pulling apart can you experience or separation than death Death from your life. That's true. Death from others. And so at the most base sense, I think he is kind of saying that story is about death. And it is about death. It follows death. You know? Now, the romantic subplot and how he's going to, you know, carry out this story, that's that's what interests me. Yeah. Because knowing Manhattan Projects, which goes wildly differently than, than maybe how you would imagine or think it would. Yeah. I'm wondering if this one is going to follow a far more formulaic path and, or if he's going to subvert it somehow. So I think for me, I was always interested in the second volume of this to see what he does with it. Yeah. Or if this turns out to be kind of Jonathan Hickman's kind of a mainstream, you know, comic, uh, quotes on mainstream because there's very little you know kind of mainstream about it but you know like like you said the story is pretty simplistic uh but then it's also kind of about the apocalypse and so i think in those two senses it is about what is pulling these nations apart pulling these people apart um death himself that that acts on all of us and and i think i definitely see the through line through it now, what he's going to say about it ultimately, I have no idea. But the yeah. second volume's out, so yeah. I'm definitely interested in uh, in picking it up, and then maybe we can we can touch base again once we figure out where he's going with this a little bit. But be warned and ready that if you are seen out in public with, I think any of these oh yeah series oh yeah saga manhattan projects or east of west you are going to be in danger right. of getting you know odd looks right. of feeling right. very embarrassed one page turn could lead you Ruin. into like an embarrassing Ruin. photo that then shows up on the internet that's like look at what this weirdo is reading out and then public. when you run for uh, mayor or some political <laughs> right. office that's right. coming back right and guess who's not going to back you up that's right these guys that's right yeah All right, well, with that, we will take a quick break, and uh, we will come back with what's trending on Twitter.
All right, we're back with Twitter. So, Keith, why don't you uh, share what's trending on Twitter? All right, here's here's one. Uh, So, trending on Twitter right now, uh, there's a hashtag called hashtag replace a movie quote with a brand. Yeah. And the first one I see is the Pope has not much hide left hashtag godfather three hashtag replace a movie with a brand so here's what i want to say about this first (laughs) it's terrible what is the point of a hashtag that uses up half of your allotted yeah kind of twitter uh characters character limit yeah you know number one and number two what about the pope has not much tide left. It's ter- that's terrible. Was that was is so so terrible. Why would he be like, "Oh, I got it." And that's like one of the like most favorited ones, right? That is one of the most Cause favorited. Cuz it's at the top. Here's another here's one that's one of the most favorited at mine and it's from Arby's official account. Keep your friends close, but your Arby's closer. That's good. I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Here and, and here's one more. May the Oreos be with you. Yeah. Terrible. Hashtag Terrible. Play same movie quote. They're all terrible. Ugh, man. Isn't that dis- Oh, wait. You know what? In the time that we were talking about it, 32 <laughs> new tweets just came up. Do you think one of those 32 will be and isn't that the isn't that the thing with Twitter, right? 32 came up and immediately this is terrible. And I'm immediately like well, I wonder if yeah. those 32 are yeah. worse. Right. Are they better? Are people now getting or a Or am I going to find a gem in there? Right. Are people getting a hand, a handle on this one now? Um, so do, do you want, do you have anything more you want to say? About yeah, it? I actually, I have a lot of tie-ins with that actually, because uh, one that I noticed earlier in the week was hash. And this is a similar theme. Um, hashtag movies with thought. Movies with thought. Not thought, like I'm thinking thought. T-H-O-T, right? Okay. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, I don't know what thought is. Who's thought? Right? So I, so I click on it. Um, and there is a... There, is it, it was, an anagram? No. Well, yes. But but you wouldn't know that by by looking at the tweets, right? So you just you just go through and it's just as like... It's just as like movies with the word thought in it. And I, I'm looking at it like I want an explanation. I want to know what thought is, right? So you just go through and I'm seeing like hashtag movies with thought. Thoughtzilla. T-H-O-T, right? Another one was, and this one is maybe kind of funny now knowing what thought means. <laughs> but it's um, 12 years. <laughs> Uh-oh. We got a winner. Oh, you got a winner. 12 years of thought, right? T-H-O-T. Not, not that funny if you don't know what thought means. It may not be funny if you know what thought means. Um, so I looked into it a little bit. Uh, the suspense is killing me. Right. What does thought mean? Thought is a derogatory term for a promiscuous woman. And it stands for that hoe over there. Made popular by the rapper 2 Chains. So it's, you know, I, I like to know... I like to keep up with the slang, right? I 
I, so that's interesting to me. You're, you're nothing if not a man who's right. just on right. the heartbeat, on the pulse. Of I can't help. Slang. Every time we do this, I can't help but think of like how old doing this Twitter segment makes us sound. And it, that's just like at the front of my brain <laughs> reading this. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, replace a movie quote with a brand. Like, right. like did, did Arby's originate that? Like, I feel like that has to be originated as like a marketing <laughs> ploy. Oh, absolutely. Like, Right? Yeah. No, I I would not doubt it for a second. Yeah. But that but that leads me to the other connection that I thought of, which was something that just happened yesterday, and and that was this hashtag, my NYPD, which is so what happened was I guess the public relations person for the New York Police Department had a brilliant idea, right? Thought it would be a good idea to go Jeez. on Twitter and say, post pictures of you with New York with the with the New York Police Department and hashtag it my NYPD. So <laughs> immediately started people started doing that and they were post they were posting pictures of like police brutality. So yeah. there's like so there's like a picture of like um a woman being pulled by her hair. Like and it's not even like it's not even like this angry police officer pulling a woman by her it's like a police officer who's like just sort of like breezing by casually and he's like just reaching out yanking it's just as like horrifying looking right <laughs> and it's like who thought this would but but to, the nypd has actually responded to it and i feel like the response is pretty has been i guess pretty all right and there but the response has just been like you know an open dialogue is good for our city which is kind of like all right i mean but but what what is the utopian view of that idea, right? Like, just people lining up as this cop needs to, like, get into his squad car. And people are like, hold on, pose with me. Hold on, pose with me. I want to yeah. see, you know, like, yeah. I mean, even in the best of use, you're, you're basically asking people to distract police officers from their job. Yeah. So they can take a selfie with them. But that's, like, that's the thing. That's the thing. That's. That's there's that's the thing that I love and hate about Twitter because it's it's the one format where you can really like like if a if a company or someone is pushing just this like total bullshit hashtag people get on there and like call them out on it but then then at the same time you've got hashtag replace a movie with a brand or replace a movie quote with a brand and you've got Arby's with this terrible quote and it's like the most favorited tweet. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's like a weird double-edged sword where like sometimes it works and sometimes it like people just buy into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but one thing about this hashtag my NYPD um, uh, hashtag that I wanted to show you and I'm texting it to you right now. Okay. I've there is a phone. picture that showed up on this. And I will go ahead and describe it for the listeners, and I'll link for it. I'll link to it in our show notes. Oh, hey, hey, put it on our Facebook. Maybe that'll yeah, get us there a we like go. or two. I'll, uh, it'll be our, our image for this episode, but I'll also link to it in the description. <laughs> and it's a picture of an NYPD <laughs> officer <laughs> frisking a dog. <laughs> It's, like a little gross. It's, it's a Boston Terrier. There you go. It's got its two front paws up on the wall. It's wearing a biker vest. And it's got wraparound sunglasses and a bandana on. This 
police officer is frisking it. Just is like, and, and, and that that police officer, I mean, I think that's a gun on his hip, but he does look like he's wearing like a stripper uniform <laughs> right. of like a cop. Yeah. You know? Like he doesn't look like that's a yeah. legit uniform. So that that picture is hilarious. And that is that is the for me, that's the pinnacle of the hashtag my it NYPD. It yeah, works. Absolutely. Um Speaking of working, do you want to throw out a tweet right now replacing a movie quote with a brand? Oh, boy. Do we I... want to throw our hat into this miasma? I mean, that's I, that's my biggest problem, I think, is I, I have a hard time remembering. like de- So, like, there are some people that can just, like, shoot off movie quotes like it's nothing. Well, well, the only thing that I can think of is, like, replacing uh, Shatner screaming con with Tostitos right. or something, <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. But even then, it's like it's inherently like it's you're inherently supporting this like it's free marketing, right? It's it's like I don't know if you watched that Frontline documentary about Generation Like I think it was called, but it just is like everything you do, and that's why I like the, right, NY, the my NYPD and- thing so much is it's free marketing. Like you're hashtagging for a brand, like that's free publicity for that brand, right? right. If you like McDonald's on Facebook. McDonald's is not doing anything for that. You are giving them free marketing by liking yeah. that because then McDonald's posts are automatically showing up on your Facebook feed and saying, you know, so-and-so likes McDonald's. Here's a McDonald's ad, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we should start a hashtag. Everything's interesting where uh, you post the least interesting thing that happened to you. Yeah. That day. Our hashtag should be at least 120 characters long. And that yeah. way you only have 20 characters to actually say something about the hashtag. The hashtag should be like, everything's interesting. Is everything interesting? Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I had, I had two more quick things on Twitter. So I follow a Twitter account called Florida Man. I don't know if you if you know of this at all. I'm from Florida. I'm that man. Yeah, that's my. Uh, but there's also a, a subreddit called Florida Man. Okay. And it's basically all the crazy headlines from Florida because a lot of crazy things happen from Florida. Mm-hmm. And I just really liked this uh, tweet that Florida Man put out. It's okay. a it's a article, uh, but his headline was Florida Man catches record sized shark, not awarded world record because he ate it. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of shark what kind of shark do you it eat? It was a Mako shark. I didn't know that was good eats. Yeah, and apparently he he didn't eat it himself, obviously, because it's like an eight hundred and five pound shark, but he fed it to this village he lives in. Which is like I hear village and I think Florida and it's like, are there like are there villages in Florida? Like really? Like But apparently he like he caught it and cooked it and fed a village which is you know which is great that's better than a world record to me there you go um but then the last thing i wanted to talk about which is a little bit of a bummer um but it's wednesday and jimmy fallon does his hashtag game on wednesday right which we talked about in a is he doing it now in an unreleased episode that you know the people listening to this will never hear but yeah it's probably ongoing now but his hashtag was um, hashtag wedding fail, right? So I clicked on it just to see what it was. And the top two tweets for wedding fail are Jimmy Fallon giving his story or whatever. And then 
the second one is him explaining that it, this is the hashtag game wedding fail. And then the very third one, the most favorited tweet after Jimmy Fallon's was <laughs> at GOP teens, right? So we're off to a good start already. <laughs> These are teens who have a wedding fail? Right. And their hashtag is hashtag wedding fail having two grooms. And it's just as like, like... What do you think you're like? What are you proving with that? Like, that's disgusting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who do you think you're reaching with that? That's to me. I just saw that and I was so so depressing. You know what I mean? It's just like having two grooms. Like, what is wrong with you? What? I guess what? What, what am I missing? So they t- two grooms, two men getting married. Like, yeah, they're saying just. Having a wedding with two men, having a gay wedding is a fail. Is a fail. That's right. not cool. It's Well, it's just as like, I, I just, it, I, I don't understand the message of it. You know what I mean? Like, how do you think you're reaching people with that? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's just this strange. And, and that's a bad message, right? Am I, oh, like, absolutely. No. Like, yeah. why, why, how is that being favorited? I guess it's about well, bigots. And that, yeah, to and that's that's the thing. That's that's the other thing that's depressing about it. And then you know, you look at GOP teens; they've got like forty thousand followers. And just well, that's why it's getting reached. But it's just as like, ugh. You know what I mean? Oh, not to get. I don't. Ugh. I don't want to get too. You know, in the weeds. No, I'm with you politically on stuff like that. But it just was but like, blah. It was a total downer. Yeah, yeah. It totally killed my vibe on that right. hashtag. I was really vibing on that tag, man. <laughs> all right <laughs> that's enough of twitter that's um we'll take one last break and we'll come back with uh our recommendations Last week, uh, Keith recommended East of West, which we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, so this week, it means it's my turn to recommend to Keith, and I have two recommendations, actually. Okay. Hit me. Uh, and the reason I have two is because one of them costs money. So I wanted to make sure I offered a free alternative. Okay. But my first recommendation, and my strongest recommendation, is an... Mo- is a mobile game. I was going to say iOS, but I think it's available on Android now as well. Uh, but I played it on iPhone. It is a mobile game called Monument Valley. Have you heard of it at all? Never. Okay. Uh, so it's $4. and Slow I- down, killer. Right. I wouldn't hesitate recommending a $4 game, but it's it's pretty short. There's only 10 levels. It took me maybe an hour, an hour and a half to complete, um, which, again, is not bad to me for the value proposition, but I know that for some reason a lot of people just don't like to spend money on apps on their phone, right? So, uh, but Monument Valley is like, it's like a, it's a, it's a puzzle game, and it's kind of like, it's part Fez. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's, 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 it looks great. Mm-hmm. It's got a great soundtrack, but it's like part Fez, part like, 
Uh, there's a game for PlayStation 3 called Echo Chrome. I don't know if you'd ever seen anything about that. I never actually played it. I just know it exists. But it's like part Fez, part Echo Chrome. But it's like it's a puzzle game that uh, that that deals that plays a lot with perspective. And I want to say after the second or third level, I was like, it was I I was like I was in I was in like whole hog like. After the third level, after the second or third level, I was kind of like, I was just sort of giving it, giving a shot, planning on putting it down and finishing it later. But then, like, I can't remember what it was. It was either like the second or third one. I was just like, I'm just gonna play this all the way through, or until uh, my shift at work ends. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I did, and I really enjoyed it. Um, But my free recommendation. Well, can I just say, can one of our 14 likers sure maybe they want to uh fund yeah there you go. fund my venture yeah you can gift this to keith we can, you if can you've got four dollars a spare just write on facebook keith i will give you four dollars yeah. within the next week sure that'll be good enough for me yeah i trust our our listeners yeah um they also said that they're adding more levels so that's something else but all right like I said, it's four, it's four dollars for a game. It's a couple hours long, maybe. Um, Not with my mind. Right. Twenty minutes, <laughs> yeah. tops. Um, but that's something I've never really understood. Like, like, like an iPhone costs like six hundred dollars. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There are a lot of people that just like refuse to buy things on their iPhone, and it's just as like it's just like it, I, it's like the equivalent of like I'm going to buy an Xbox, but I'm only going to download the demos. I'm not going to pay for anything. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, you can get a $600 machine in your hands that not only that, like when you buy a new iPhone, that money you just spent on that app will transfer to the new one. You can right. still use it on your new iPhone. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just strange to me. Um, but anyways, the, the free one that I'm recommending, I'm, it's sort of a half-hearted recommend because mm, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of people are really talking up this game, but it has not like... It just hasn't sunk its teeth in me yet. Okay. And it's Hearthstone. Hearthstone? Okay, Hearth. One of the two. Hearthstone, yeah. I believe it's Hearthstone. But it's from Blizzard, the Warcraft people. Right. Um, And it's like a card game, like a card deck game. I'm guessing it's kind of like Magic or like Pokemon. I've never played either of those, so I don't really know. I just know it's like a card deck game. And I've, I've played through the tutorial basically which um you play like 10 rounds or whatever but it's just you know you've got a deck of cards the cards have different abilities or different numbers on them it's kind of like an advanced version of war you know what i mean right but it's free it's free to play it's got you know microtransactions but because i've only done the the tutorial I haven't run into those. It's on the iPad or whatever. It's on the and it's only on the. I mean, it's on like PC and stuff, but it's on the iPad. It's not okay. on the iPhone. But a lot of people are talking about how great it is and how they can't stop playing it. I haven't reached that level yet, but I just wanted to offer a free alternative to my. I appreciate it. Paid recommendation. All right. <laughs> trying to be thoughtful. It's like a you know, it's like a, one of those weird situations. Where it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna rec- you, you you feel weird when you recommend something. To somebody and they have to pay money for it right right and then they don't like that thing right. right don't you feel kind of responsible yeah yeah 
it's a little, you know, it's a, it's daunting. Yeah. So I'd expect four dollars from you. Yeah. Yeah. So exact. That's exactly my point. You would expect four dollars. So when you buy Monument Valley for four dollars and don't like it, I can then say, well, I also told you to try Hearthstone, which is free. So you should have done that first. That's why I love podcasting with you. You're a man who covers his bases. <laughs> right. All right. Well, that's uh, the end of the road for episode. For show number three. I don't know why I keep calling it episode. But, uh. That's the end of our third trade paperback. Yeah. There you go. This is it. <laughs> uh, so you can find us on. Actually, uh, uh, you can find Keith on Twitter. Keith, is there anything you would like to be found at other than Twitter? Uh, you can find me at twitter.com. You can find me at Facebook. Everything's interesting. Right, well, but not Facebook.com Facebook. slash everything. <laughs> You'd have to go to Facebook and search for Everything's Interesting. <laughs> and then make sure you click on the right page. Right. Because we can't get to 30 stinking followers <laughs> or likes. You're not stinking. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, uh, no, that's that, that that's good. I have a Tumblr that I'm very embarrassed of. So okay, don't. sure. You should be. Yeah. <laughs> someone who checks in on it occasionally <laughs> um, but yeah and, and, I was, and I'll say uh, there's a, a group of guys who've been pretty supportive of me in the podcast they do a podcast called Third Life Crisis so I would just like to you know say thanks to them give them a little bit of a shout out and uh, you know recommend that you listen to their podcast to our brother-in-law Bill yeah, sure. To our brother-in-law Bill, who has nothing to do with that podcast, but you know he's just a good guy. Well, uh, no, I was saying we're shouting out to him. He's probably the only one. Oh, okay, sure. That, that's very work. true. That's very true. He's he at this point, especially at this point in the podcast, he's right. the only one still listening. Right. So Bill, for our millions of, of yeah. listeners, ten years in the future, who've come back and <laughs> right. listened to our back catalog, right. <laughs> it's a different story. Yeah, yeah. But for the for the present time, Bill. Check out Third Life Crisis. You'll <laughs> like it. All right. Uh, you can find me at Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Zs. And um, that's it. We will that's it. see you on the other side, man. <laughs>